folks, welcome to the Moving Beyond Being Good podcast by Gary Ryan from Organisations That Matter. In this podcast, Gary shares everything about servant leadership, service leadership, authentic leadership, how to create high-performance cultures, service excellence, and life balance. Here's your host, Gary Ryan. Hi, folks. This is Gary Ryan, and welcome to another episode of the Moving Beyond Being Good podcast. I've got a very special guest today, a longtime friend in Jim Gonis, and Jim has... Uh, in the last year and a half or so, moved from Australia to Japan, of all places, in, in a leadership role. And uh, we're going to discuss with Jim what that transition's been like, how it came about, what are some of the key lessons, and what it's like to be a leader in a foreign country. So, Jim, thank you for coming along today. How are you going? Hey, Gary. Really good, mate. How are you? Um, I'm excellent and uh, great to reconnect. Uh, folks, if you do look up our history, uh, we did uh, work together uh, yes, we in, did. Uh, the Monash Griffins Australian Football Club uh, in the amateurs in uh, Melbourne, Australia in the okay. 1990s, a long time ago. And we were very, very fortunate to be able to work together as, as colleagues and, and helping a club go from being very, very amateur and how it was run to actually quite professional and how it was run. So uh, we've got a long history. Jim, with this opportunity, can you just tell us the backstory about how, how did this come about? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Yeah, as you say, a year and a half ago, I, I moved to Japan with my wife for, for work, for the company that I work for, for Agilent Technologies. It, it, it was an internal promotion, so I'd been, I've been with Agilent for, for eight years, and the opportunity opened up here in Japan, and you know, before we knew it, we'd relocated over here and, and, and started working. So it's been a, an amazing adventure already. Yeah, what incredible how, how, how quickly a year and a half goes. Some things must have happened before this opportunity arose. Did you, could you see it coming? Did you literally just get tapped on the shoulder, Jim, out of the blue and said, hey, look, there's this opportunity in Japan. Are you prepared to move? No, it was probably not, not, not so much a, a tap on the shoulder. It was probably more self-driven. Okay. I'd been gearing up to look for a, a bigger role and a more visible role for a few years le- leading into this. COVID got in the way. It, that that was a real, I mean, it was a, it was a hard stop. Like, of course, you know, we were locked down mm. for a long time, but it actually became a bit of an enabler for me. It helped me, COVID, the COVID period really helped me think hard it forced me to think hard about what I want to do next. So it was it was actually through that time that I I really gave it a lot of thought. I thought, no, I've, I've, I've got to give this a go. And it wasn't specifically Japan. The, the opportunity opened up. The role opened up here, right place, right time after that. But it was it was actually through those COVID years that um, that, that it really started. You know, that that's where it was born as, as an as an idea and as a as a pathway. So as you say, that disruption of the of, of COVID and the pandemic caused you to, to do a bit of reevaluation. But it, but you did that work though. You actually stopped and you sat down. And you said, you know, yeah. what do I really want? And yeah. and equally, as you said, and I, I find this fascinating with a lot of the stories, Jim, is that you, you didn't actually say I'm going to go to Japan. What you said was I want to I want to be more visible. I want a more senior role. This is time for me. And you opened up those possibilities, and before you know it, one pops up. Exactly, and you know, actually, before that, there was there was an opportunity that I just missed, and that actually drove me even harder. So I, I did so through that that journey. I, I applied for again an internal promotion, and that time it was in the US on on the East Coast, um, mm-hmm. leading our US operations in the in the East. And I came very close. Uh, it was an, it was a grueling interview process. I came a very close second. And I remember having a, I guess, a debrief with with the hiring manager there. He said, "Oh, Jim, you know, you were so close. You did everything well. You know, it was just there was nothing splitting you." And I, I said to him, "Look, I, I feel like a, I feel a little bit like the silver medalist 
at the Olympics that I wasn't after the silver medal. I was after yeah. the gold, and I came home with nothing. So that was really disappointing, but it also it, it, it drove me even harder because it gave me a lot of confidence to go through that whole grueling, grueling process and learn that, nah, I got this. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm right on the cusp. And I knew that the next time a, an opportunity like that came up, there was actually no one else going to take it from me. I thought, nah, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm very, very close. I know what I want. When I see it next, I'm, I'm in it. So it, it actually gave me a lot of confidence by missing out that time and then... It was about six months later that the right. uh, opportunity opened up in Japan. I thought, nah, I'm going for this. So you, you took a really growth mindset view of that, that um, the, the opportunity in the US that didn't quite land out, that you, you got the silver medal, as you described. And there'll be lots of people listening to this that, that have gone through a process like yeah. that, a grueling process, as you described, Jim, missed out and then gone, oh, well, it's just not going to happen for me. But you did you did quite the opposite. You said, right, I'm actually, I've got confidence out of I can handle this process i know i just missed out and i suspect you probably thought to yourself gee if i had it on this this and this i might not have missed out so if i get another chance in fact when i get another chance not if is, is what i'm really hearing from you is that yeah. accurate yeah it's, it is accurate gary I, I guess i'm also giving you the highlights <laughs> in amongst all that there was a lot of disappointment and yeah, I was down in the dumps you know, some, some of the time but I had to find a way and I had to anchor on, on something that was going to help me through and, and, and lead me to remind myself where I wanted to go and, and yes. work towards that so yeah all of those things were really really positive and true but it yeah, it was as you can imagine, right? It was it was difficult, and I, it was actually an interesting because since then I've had a lot of a lot of people in, in my organisation contact me who've been in similar positions, um, trying to, you know sort of going for a role, missing out on a role, and you know I didn't make the first case I missed out in the US very public at, at the time, but I, I share with a lot of people that that I speak to now who have just missed out on on the next big thing, and I said, look, it may not be that one, but it will put you in such a close position for the next time, so stay focused, you know, keep, keep working towards what you want to go for. And Jim, that's such an important message because the, the brutal reality is there is only one role going, yeah. and there's a heap yeah. of people, there, there's more in inverted commas losers than winners in these, and yes. it's just the way the structure works, so yeah. can I to take away I am a loser or you can take away hey no I mean what every bump in the road to me is a test of do I really want what I think I really want yeah yeah you went no I actually really want this yes I just missed out so yeah. it was on the east coast of the US then I actually really want this level of opportunity I want that that responsibility I want that accountability with that level of leadership yeah. I'm going to create manifest if you like the next opportunity when yeah. it comes I'm going to nail it and, and as you said earlier no one's going to take it from me. I mean, what a powerful attitude. Yeah, and that's exactly how I stepped into when that, that role, with this role in, in Japan opened up. That's exactly how I stepped into it. I, I'd had the, I'd had the little internal pep talk. I thought, no, you got this. And, you know, I started from there. I started personally from a position of strength. I thought, no, that, that previous experience had given me a lot of confidence. Uh, as you say, I mean, I was I was up against 100 others and, and I came a very close second. I thought, no, that, that's going to help me both personally, but also because it was in, 
it was internal, but it, it, it did help that you know, others in the organisation also recognised that I had the ability to, to do this. So globally, how many folk in the organisation, Jim? It's around 15,000, I think. Yeah, yeah, okay. Stats, so that's a lot we're, we're a big organisation. We're yeah. about five or six billion dollar organisation globally with a lot of you know operations in, in most countries of the world. So it's a good opportunity at this point to, to give your organisation a bit of a plug. Yeah. Agilent Technologies started its life as Hewlett-Packard, actually. You probably recognize the, yes. that brand, Hewlett-Packard. So Hewlett-Packard actually was originally a test and measurement company you know, mm. back in the 30s and the 40s before the computer. You know, throughout those those years developed into electronic components and, and those types of things. And then sort of coming into the 90s, realized that, hey, the, the personal computer is pretty big and, and, and quite different to testing in the scientific and the research area. So that the company split and they, the, the computing company became HP. And yes. we were born as Agilent as a separate entity. But okay. That was our, our origins, and, and still today, I think you know uh, many many staff in in Agilent have HP roots and and remember the HP way as yes, a, as a culture yes, and, and drive that yeah. pretty hard in the company. So it's a really really fascinating company to be a part of. And so the transition to Japan, mm. uh, it's clearly it's a different language. Uh, yeah. I, I assume most of the people that you're working with are clearly Japanese people. So what what are Maybe one or two key lessons from the experiences you've had of that yeah. transition in your career, Jim. Yeah, a really interesting question, Gary. I, I'm there's about 500 staff here in Japan, and there is one staff member who is not Japanese. That's me. <laughs> so um, it's a really, of course a real experience uh, every day to sort of go to to work and, and be the only foreigner in a suit. But it makes me feel kind of special. So, you know, it sort of energizes me. But I, I really did need to learn a lot and be really mindful as I, as I stepped in into, into the country and into the role. I thought my biggest challenge would be the language. And I remember having a conversation, but the, the first call I made when the role was advertised was to the hiring manager. And I asked him, I said, look, I, I see the job description. I, I've got all this. But on the last line, it says fluent in Japanese and English. I said, is that a deal breaker? Because I don't speak a word. I, I, I literally, the only word I knew was sayonara. And the minute I landed, uh, the Japanese said, oh, no, we don't use that word. So <laughs> that was useless. So I said to him, is that going to be a deal breaker? And he said, no, I don't think so. I think we can work around that. I said, all right, let's go. And, yeah, that's really where it all began. Very early on, as I was sort of doing my research and prepping for through the interviews, and I thought, oh, you know, step one, I've got to learn the language. But actually, the more I thought about it, it the, the language is just a vehicle to capturing hearts and minds in, in, in a leadership role. I mean, I'm, I'm coming in as a leader for, for this business here. That's, I don't need, I mean, the language is helpful. It'll make it easier. Yes. But... It's not the language that I need. It's actually to capture the hearts and minds of the team. Mm. And to do that, yes, I'm, I'm studying Japanese and I'm, I'm learning some. I'm taking a couple of courses, you know, a course one or twice a week, and I, I try whenever possible to, to use my Japanese. But it's all designed around capturing the hearts and minds, about you know, telling the team, look, I'm, I'm here, in here with you and I'll, I'll learn and grow and, and we'll, we, can, we can build and grow this thing together. So did you have an interpreter help you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I still do. So I, I've got an in interpreter and I use her ASN a couple of times a week now, not very often. So what I've learned is the, the Japanese, actually their English is not bad. 
right. you know, it's it's you can you can get by. So I even at my my leadership level, all of my staff know enough English. It, and I have to be. I have learned to be need to be very, very patient and slow down, speak a lot more slowly. But we can engage. So my, most of my discussion with with my team and and with many many parts of the business is in just just slow, basic English. But if I need to get into any depth, or if I'm delivering like a my regular monthly coffee talks or, or anything to a, a broader audience that I want to make sure is uh, understood consistently mm-hmm. within the organization then I'll, I'll call ASN in and and uh, you know she'll, she'll she'll translate for me sometimes it's the other way like last week I spent a lot of my time in several departments kind of analyzing our annual leadership survey results so you know the, the assessment mm-hmm. that our staff do and you know wanting to to understand more about what what they're trying to tell us and that's really important of course to, to understand in detail so that's when I'll use an interpreter but for day-to-day operations they're basic or broken English and, and my, my mm, developing Japanese we, we can get by <laughs> I love the word developing yeah. um, I'm not fluent yet yeah, that's right now I can feel my audience prodding me saying to me yeah Gary you got to ask Jim you know, so what are some of the things he's done to capture the hearts and minds when you've got that language barrier what are, what are some yeah. of the things that you, you've done it's a lot of it is you know the, the essentials are the same it doesn't really matter which language uh, you do it in being there being present I've had to adapt my style a lot uh, mm-hmm. coming into Japan I, my style we've worked before together and, and you'll know as well it's more of an empowering style you know I'll help you you tell me what we need to do and I'll help you get there in Japan the, the way the structure works and the way they follow structure that, that's not their strength so I've, I've had to get much more involved in the building and the shaping and, and actually almost on day one I was kind of expected to have the plan uh, right. whereas you know, in, in Australia or in, in, in the US, you do a lot more work with the team to build the plan and, and, to, and to sharpen the plan. It's not, not quite the same here. The other challenge here is, again, that, you know, this is this is cultural, but also the way that the Japanese operate. You know, in Australia, we'll, we say, I'll oh, give it a go. Well, give it a go actually doesn't work here. <laughs> She'll be right, mate. No way. <laughs> Just to use a couple of Australianisms, <clears throat> but many, many times, you know, we want to we want to stimulate innovation and 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 try new things, and and that's what I'm trying to bring here into Japan as well. But if I just sort of, again, you know, try and use the empowering style and and just let them create, be, be, be a little more creative with it. There's not, it doesn't move very quickly. They're waiting for a lot more direction than that, broadly speaking. So I've I've had to change my style a lot and and be involved a lot more, but but also try to help the team here, especially the leadership team, in understanding how this concept works outside of Japan, because most of them have had no reason to do any business outside of Japan. The the business and the economy in in Japan is big enough to sustain itself, and so it doesn't really require you to look outside, because everything you need is inside. So a a large part of my role is to educate on what empowerment looks like, what creativity or innovation looks like in the workforce and how can we practice some of that I, mean, I use the word practice a lot with my team just practice on me practice your english practice your thinking share your thoughts it is a, a, a bit of a different concept here but this i think they're starting to understand and see now 
how that works outside of Japan. Now, like I keep reminding them, we're, we're a US multinational. So we're actually an American company in Japan, even though we're all mm. Japanese. So they need to yeah. be aware of how this company and, and the, the American business world operates because that's what they're competing with. Yes, yes. And the, the, the practice work, it, it's fascinating, Jim, that, that in, in a lot of my consulting work, even even actually here in Australia, the, the idea of practice is not something that people practice mm, very much. No. And it's such a powerful thing to actually do. I mean, most of the time people are practicing in inverted commas mm. on the actual client or the customer. Real time. <laughs> yeah, in real time when, yeah. when it would be far better to be doing some internal practice yeah. as you say practice with me some of these techniques and and i guess some of the challenges that you, you're facing there is that innovations required everywhere like everyone needs to innovate now the innovations don't necessarily have to be world first innovations although that's clearly handy in business but it could be innovation of of practices of how we how we do work and, and clearly yeah. they're called incremental innovations and so you're bringing a lot of that to the the business in japan is bringing those incremental innovations with you and i think i'm hearing between the lines jim that you had to work a lot of this out by yourself Definitely. You know, when you got started. Yeah, I, I mean, right from the first day, I was I, I started the role on the first of February last year, twenty twenty two. The border was closed. I couldn't get here until the end of March uh, into the country. So I I started virtually for for a month and a half, and then when we did arrive, the border was closed until October last year. So the only only my wife and I could fly in. My wife had never been to Japan, so you know, there's another story. But she had to come with me because if she didn't, she wouldn't, couldn't come into the country, not in, for six months. So from the very first day, you know, it wasn't a, a, a scouting trip. Our first day, it was we're living here, and so we really had to learn everything from day one, basically alone. I mean, there is no handbook. How do you do business in Japan as an Australian businessman? Maybe there is. I, I didn't actually look. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I just thought, you know what, I've got this. I don't, I, I say it a lot of the, my, my team here uh, now, well, I don't need to say it much anymore. But when I arrived, I don't speak Japanese and I apologize for that. Uh, I'll do my best. You know, gumbody must. But I speak Agilent and yes. I can help you with that. And yes. so I can, I'm, a, I'm great at, at now being able to help the team develop their, their skills at, you know, in, in, within this company and for a global footprint. My other real main role is also as a, almost like a PR agent outside of Japan, because whilst we in Japan, the Japanese are very, very good at doing things, they're not very good at telling people how good they are at things right so they're, they're very modest i mean it's in their upbringing they're yeah they're, you know as even as children they're, they're, they're really told not not to show off or you know <laughs> yeah, to, to be very very humble and, and very modest now that's a beautiful trait it is my, my wife says all the time says you know everyone should live in japan for a while and the world would be a better place and i agree with that a hundred percent but also in business as I keep reminding my staff, you are competing with the Americans and the English and the Europeans, exactly, who are very good at projecting all of the positives that they do. So we've got to be better at that as well, to telling our story outside of Japan. Mm -hmm. And it's just storytelling, isn't it? You know? yeah, and I, again, I can feel the audience poking. I know that you've got two adult children and, and they've not come to Japan with mm -hmm. you. So that's a pretty significant element two of your story of this move so what, what can you share with yeah. folks about that 
you know, my most vivid memory of this whole journey was a night on the dinner table during COVID, or sort of at the tail end of it, when I'd, I'd said to, we, we sat down, my wife and I sat with the kids, actually it was through the, um, the, the US experience that we didn't quite get to. And both, uh, Jeremy, our son's 24 and our daughter Ruby's 21 uh, now. Uh, so, they're, you know, they're kiddos. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> both of them had started to to kind of talk about oh what if, you know if we move out of home and um I'd we, I'd sort of said to them a couple of times oh, I said mum and I might move out of home before you two do and so we sat down at the dinner table one that one night and I said oh kids what do you say if mum and I if I got a job in the US and, we, and mum and I moved out there would you come along and they both sort of and we had a really adult conversation and they they both said individually said mm, no I don't think so but. We'd love to visit, so go yes. for it. <laughs> and then six months later, this that same conversation happened at the dinner table about Japan, and and both again, you know, I put it out there for them. I said, "Well, what about Japan?" And both were a little more interested. They're like, "Ooh, maybe no, but yeah, we will visit often." <laughs> so um, <laughs> we, we had to go have a serious conversation, but it was it was it was all a really important part of the process. I think. Did, did I see you had your own parents out there recently? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I mean, I won't talk about highlights. Um, <laughs> Yeah, my, my dad's 85, mum's sort of close to 80 and they hadn't tra- haven't travelled anywhere over 10 years and really, really aged and, you know, I, I, I know they, they thought, okay, you're heading to Japan. That was probably the most difficult conversation, although my mum did say at the time, uh, you know, when I told her, oh, we're going to move to Japan, she said, oh, are the kids staying? And I said, yeah. She said, oh, that's okay then. Uh, <laughs> but they were so happy to come to Japan. They were just, it's just something that they never, somewhere they never, ever thought they would be so and at that age you know it was such a thrill to to show them around and yeah yeah just to experience a little bit with them together what a gift you know what a gift to give your parents you know at their age you know are are there any things that we haven't mentioned that are you know like if someone was considering not necessarily to japan because as you say it could it could be anywhere but yeah someone that's fairly well into their career you know Mm. maybe into their their mid to late 40s or in their 50s and they're they're thinking about the next step the one or two key takeaways that you you'd like to share with them jim yeah i'd always say you know we have a little motto at home try new things we used it as the kids were little really little when we traveled with them we just you know, that's rule number, well, rule number two it was. Rule number one was don't get lost. The second was try new things. But I still try and live that all the time. And, and you know, here here it is. But but I'd, I'd, I'd encourage everyone, and especially as you say, at, at, at this stage of, of my career, you know, I've still, still got years left uh, and a lot to give, but a, a different, very different stage of, of my career. You know, I'm, I'm doing a lot more coaching and developing and that, than I was 10 or 15 years ago. You know, back then it was really about establishing and, and building a brand and a personal brand and, and, and you know, a strategic style. Now, now I've, I feel I've, I've found that and I've, I've tested mm. that in, in a few a few areas. And, and I think most people at, at my stage of my career would be similar. We've quite confident and comfortable in, in what we know and about how we, we can do things. You can actually take that and teach others in another environment. So if that is what you're interested in, I'd say go for it. I see a lot of expats here, of course, and, and around the world now. And most that I see are, are of the you know 10 or 15 year younger 
bracket where the kids are in primary school is sort of a little bit more mobile. They can do the expat life without breaking the kids and then sort of bring them home later on for high school or uni or whatever, if, if that's the, the choice. That is, you know, we, we didn't do it that way. We've always mm-hmm. been based in, in Melbourne before this. So that is a way to go. But I would definitely encourage people that, you know, at this stage, you know, if your kids have sort of grown up, you've got you, you've got something to give and, mm-hmm. and share that with, with others. I, I'd go for it. Try new things. I think Carol Dweck, who... Founded, founded the term growth mindset, try new things, would yeah. probably be, yeah, be up there. a subtitle for, for her work without any shadow of a doubt. And I think yeah. this is really important is, is, as you said, I've still got a lot of time left. Like yeah. when people get into their late 40s and early 50s, yeah. if, you're, if, you're an, if you're an Australia, an Australian male can expect to live to 80 on average. Mm. So obviously a lot live a lot longer than that. Yeah. Uh, some don't obviously quite make it. And if they're female, it's 85 is the average. So... We, there's a lot of time left and, and this idea of some people start looking towards retirement and yeah. their goal is I, I just want to get to retirement mm. and you just see to me you just see the life getting sucked out yeah. of them like they're just yeah. sort of parking the bus and waiting mm. but that impacts so much of what goes on in the rest of their life whereas yeah. you are just up and about you're going and see you're in sunflower fields <laughs> just I've seen some amazing gorgeous, places you know, yeah. beautiful fire Fireworks. Oh, yeah. and obviously, you've got the constant challenge, Jim, of of the communication. But you've worked out how to do that, and the both of you just having such a wonderful time. You know, the kids are coming over to visit, the, the parents are coming over to visit, and you're a leader of leaders now. So you're not leading yeah. frontline people; you're a leader of leaders. So you're doing strategic level work. You're trying to influence even culturally how they work, but being respectful of that along the way, setting that in the global context, which is our agilence reality in Japan, and these. These are important things to do and not easy to do, but I, I sense that your brain's just popping yeah. constantly. Just, is that a fair description? Absolutely, absolutely. Every day is an adventure. It's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and again, just seeing your big, your, your wonderful smile, Jim, and and I, I can feel your energy too about about this role that you're doing. So, uh, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, I don't know, uh, uh, Gary. I, I, yeah, I, I think we've covered most of a lot of areas. You know, you sort of had had me digging deep into into thought and and you know trying to summarize a year and a half but it's been an amazing journey yeah it's absolutely been an amazing journey now jim i'd really like to thank you for coming along the moving beyond being good podcast and folks check out all the all, all the episode links for details to be able to follow us and catch up with us on the moving beyond being good podcast once again this is gary ryan and i look forward to working with you next time 